Welcome to the Harmonia Early Music Podcast. I'm Wendy Gillespie. And I'm Janelle Davis. Together again. Here we are again, second time. Well, uh, what did, what did you listen to this week? I thought some medieval music would be the thing. We've been having a lot of harpsichords and Baroque music lately, so time to take a little step back in time to a CD that was recorded in 1999, but then reissued by Hyperion Records in 2012. It's a recording of Christopher Page's Gothic Voices, singing music by English composers of the 14th century. All of the composers are anonymous, although there are, in one, one of the songs on the recording, there are a whole bunch of singers mentioned by name, and who knows, maybe they were the composers of some of these pieces. The CD is called Masters of the Rolls, and the title refers to the fact that a lot of the music was written down by these masters on rolls of parchment. Well, I've also been listening to medieval music. We kind of planned that. Yeah. <laughs> Coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> This music that the this recording I've been listening to has music from both England and France, and most of it is anonymous. Same composer as mine. Amazing. <laughs> The group who's performing is Ensemble Providencia, and their recording was released in 2012, and it's called Crossing the Channel. I was just thinking about these titles that people give their CDs, and Crossing the Channel, I always think of swimmers, (laughs) swimming competitions, getting across the channel. It's not that long, actually, at the Strait of Dover. It's 21 miles. It's not that far. Not that I would want to swim it myself. (laughs) No. But... Both the nearness of those two countries and the separation of the water, um, actually, that geography does affect the cultural dialogue between the two countries. In some ways, England was isolated from the continent, but in other ways, they were so close to France that they integrated a lot of the music from that country as well. But maybe we should go back to your recording and start in England with Gothic voices. Okay. Gothic Voices, on their recording, includes music whose texts are all in Latin, apart from one Anglo-Norman poem. It has a pastiche of musical styles, which includes monophonic songs, pieces where the voices share the same text, and motets where the voices sing different texts simultaneously. I wouldn't describe this disc as easy listening, but it does offer a lot of variety of sound, and it's very satisfying for a listener who is willing to put in just a little bit of effort. The monophonic pieces are interesting because traditionally um, in the biz, for many years, when a monophonic piece came up as something to do in a concert, the immediate instinct was, well, we'd better add something. We'd better add a drone or we'd better have an instrument with this piece. And that's gone a little out of fashion. And Gothic voices are very happy to 
leave their monophonic music as just one voice singing all by itself. I think of it as the unfettered solo voice, which is just enjoying the space that it's singing in and taking advantage of the resonance. So that's a good illustration we heard, the monophonic style. This is a really interesting piece because the melody is a hymn. It has verses, and it is called Panje Lingua. But the words in this case have been altered. It's taken from the office for St. Thomas of Lancaster. Thomas of Lancaster was someone who was beheaded by Edward II in 1322, and a cult developed around him after his death, as with so many of these things, miracles started to happen at his shrine and so on and so forth. And this version of Pange Lingua was written specially for the office for St. Thomas. And this is in what century that we're talking about? This is the 14th century. 14th century. Yeah, the early, early-ish 14th century. And in fact, all the monophony on this recording is connected to political events that happened in in the reign of Edward II. Oh, I see. The second kind of music on on the CD is the kind where everybody has the same words and everybody moves together, and yet it is polyphonic music. There's a really good illustration because it kind of has some chromatically daring stuff in one of the pieces on here. It's called Stella Maris Illustrans Omnia, and it also has quite an unorthodox text. Would you like to hear that? Yeah, and then I want you to tell me why it's unorthodox. So that's a good illustration. We heard more than one voice, but as you said, they all move together, or it feels very rhythmic, and the text is is indicating somehow the motion of the piece, and, and I can kind of jive with it. Um, that's right. It's rhythmic and has a lot of flow, and you hear everybody changing vowels at the same time and everybody breathing at the same time, and so it kind of glumps along. <laughs> there was some funky stuff in the middle there, and you were thinking that maybe that is because of the text? Yes. The text starts out with this Stella Maris thing sounding like it's going to be sort of standard Marian poem. She was known as the star of the sea, Stella Maris. But almost immediately, the text sort of veers off the beaten path. 
Toward the end, it starts asking the bee that gives honey to all to distill for our sinners the sweet honey of the world so that the devil and death will yield. And then it ends with this most extraordinary supplication that says, make it so with the itches of the ring of Venus that you do not say to us wretches, I am stung by them. I think I'm going to leave that to our listeners to figure out. <laughs> yeah, very unusual very text. Unusual. <laughs> well, then there's yet another style included on, on this disc, isn't there? Yes, there is. And that's the style, the, the motet style, where three, two or three voices sing different texts simultaneously. There's a really interesting one that we can play. There are three lines in the piece, and two of those lines are just chock full of text. I think it really is possible, if you're clever, to hear to hear both the voices at once. But have a listen and see what you okay. think. I can see what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it. I think it. Of course, it helps if you're fluent in Latin. Of course, um, which I'm <laughs> most um, certainly not. And it's also possible that maybe maybe you don't get every single syllable on on the first hearing, but the voices don't really get in each other's ways. The texts, for your information, are complementary to each other. The upper line, which has more words, is kind of a shopping list of singers' names and attributes and what wonderful singers they are and so on. And the second line describes a vision of heaven from the book of Revelations and says that it hopes that all these pious and fabulous singers will get to experience this wonderful place. Oh, I see. So the texts often relate one way and another to each other. Not always, but often mm-hmm. they have something something to do with each other. And the bottom, as you hear, is just sort of little to no text and is mostly making vowel-like sounds. Hmm. Well, let me just ask you, obviously I'm hearing male voices mm-hmm. from the recording, from Gothic voices. Although there's one female on the recording as well. But to cover yes. that high, higher part. And, that, and that's the thing that I was wondering about is, is who would have performed these songs back then? It's a very interesting question. And I think the answer probably depends partly on the context, which is dependent partly on what the text is, because these these songs, it is thought they might have been used in church, although not as part of a service, maybe as part of a procession or something like that, or they might have been sung as sort of chamber music by the clerics, um, singers anyway, um, and that was their way of sort of having fun. The ones with more political texts possibly could have been sung as entertainment at court even. The main thing about 
these multi-textual motets is that they probably are not for the illiterate masses. They're probably for the kanyushenti. They're probably for students, clerics, educated people, people at court, upper class people. They're not just for everybody. They're not pop music. But would women have sung them? I don't see why not. There's a very important manuscript at Burgos, and Burgos was was a convent and had nuns, so there's very little doubt that if they had a manuscript of motets at their convent, they probably sang them. Right, and of course these didn't have a fixed pitch, so we're not relying on that to know. Exactly. It's all voices, and you just put them in the range of your own voice. Um, Maybe... Women would do them an octave higher than men, um, especially the earlier ones didn't have enormous vocal ranges anyway, and probably one voice could have sung all the parts, not simultaneously. <laughs> um, so, so it's entirely possible that a motet could be sung by women, or a motet could be sung by men. Less, maybe slightly less likely that a, a motet would be. You certainly wouldn't want to get your nuns and your monks together singing <laughs> motets. That would be their danger lies. I, I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, unfortunately, um, I guess I have all nuns on my recording. Well, that's good. N- no monks. Um, <laughs> this ensemble Providentia is for women. Their recording is basically a crash course in music in England and France from the 10th to the 13th centuries. Early on, the Winchester Cathedral was sort of an important center on the Anglo-Saxon side of things. And then in France, the Abbey of Saint-Buenant-de-Fleury was also a very important center for new music and new liturgical compositions at that time. There was a monk in this abbey who wrote an account about four brothers. Two of them would sing normally, or the original, and then... The other two provided their own accompaniment. Interesting. So they may have been improvising over some chant, which sounds a lot like early organum and where polyphony came from anyway. And it is known that a lot of a lot of early polyphony was improvised. Yes. So that's, yeah, that's fascinating. Was that Thierry who, who did that? <laughs> yes, in fact, it was Thierry of Amorbach. And if that's the case, he's he's an early, he's a 10th century chap. Yes. Um, so it is very likely that he's talking about early organum or something. One of those is a track on, on this disc. is actually found in the Winchester Troper. It's an early collection of organa. What's interesting is that only the extra part is notated. So they were assuming that everybody knew this chant already. And this ensemble has kind of done their own reconstruction of that piece, um, and they're performing it kind of in the same way, taking from Thierry of Amerbach. They've divided up two voices singing the principal voice, and the other two are doing kind of an accompaniment on top of that. Oh, interesting. I'd like to hear that.
Fascinating stuff, isn't it? Boy, it's way earlier. It sounds really old. That well, yes, it does sound very a, old. Yeah. And in fact, it is, is one of the earlier pieces on this recording. Oh, interesting, yeah. interesting. But things really changed dramatically. 1066, everybody knows that date. Oh, yes. And the Norman Conquest. And I think language was one of the most affected things. All of a sudden we have languages that divide people. The langadoi is spoken by the prestigious and the nobles and, and at court, and then you have the common language in England that was Middle, middle English and, and Latin, which was used in church and, and for writing things down. And Gosh, I have enough trouble communicating in one language. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Um, but the CD really does explore all of those languages. I really enjoyed uh, this one in Middle English. It's world's bliss. In the very small pond of medieval English song, this is one of the most very, very well-known pieces that there is. It is a seven-and-a-half-minute-long song. Should we hear a bit of it? Yeah, let's do It's, it's kind of a, a very thoughtful piece describing how fleeting life is and how short things can be. What always strikes me when I listen to these narrative kinds of, of things is that, well, of course I always like to have the text because I want to know what they're saying. And I don't speak Middle English very well. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit rusty, too, I have to admit. Um, but I always love it when I can hear, even if I don't know what they're saying, if I can really tell what the kinds of emotions that they're getting across, just like a good storyteller. It, it's no different to Absolutely. me than that. Yeah I, yeah, I agree. And I think it's wonderful that people are willing to take the chance of not cutting a seven-and-a-half-minute song and putting across all the text and asking their listener to slow down, just wait a minute, we're just going somewhere else, and then just going there. I think that's admirable. I do, too. I guess we have room for maybe one more track. I had picked a conductus to get something from France on the other side, a piece that was favored by Parisian composers. If we'd like to hear a little bit of Eclipsum Partitur. Mm, okay.
that brings us a little closer to the Stella Morris piece that we heard earlier, but I, um, I'm going to guess here that it's even even earlier. Yeah, in than fact, that. it's it's in the 12th century, maybe towards the end of the 12th right, century. Right. Yeah. It's not quite as rhythmic. It's a little freer, and then there are little pockets of places that don't have any words that are just vocalized, and they do become more rhythmic and so on and so forth. So just a slightly earlier style, and yet you hear the words very clearly. What's it about? This piece is lamenting the death of Geoffrey of Brittany, 1186. Oh. He was the son of Henry II. Huh. And, and the text is... There's kind of a refrain, death is death in his harsh lot treats all men equally and knows not how to spare. Huh. So it, it, mm. it is definitely a lament, mourning the loss of, of, their, of their warrior, somebody who they referred to as, as a ray of sun in some ways. Ah, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. interesting. Well, there's a lot more, but for centuries and two countries is a lot to cover. And a little Absolutely. podcast. Certainly, <laughs> so maybe we better stop is. there. I'm, I hope they enjoyed it. I, I expect we'll probably hear from a few people. Do you people think we'll about hear? It. I hope we hear. I hope we do. I'd like to know whether whether people are are having as much fun as we are. Oh, that's good. <laughs> if you'd like to know more about either of these recordings, we have both of them listed on our website, and and you can click through and have a look at those and see if you'd like to have them for your own library. Just go to harmoniaearlymusic.org. That's right. And while you're there, you can listen to some of our archived podcasts, and we have shows, and we have blogs, and please visit our online shop. A portion of that, should you choose to buy something, goes towards Harmonia. This has been the Harmonia Early Music Podcast. I'm Wendy Gillespie. And I'm Janelle Davis. Thanks for listening.